Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to be back with you again this morning and uh, good to be able to uh, celebrate together our risen Savior who is worthy of our praise. You know, as we go through the course of each day, we use all sorts of different tools and appliances. And of course, uh, they're great because they, they help just simply make life easier for us, generally speaking. Uh, They enable us to do things perhaps more quickly or more effectively or more efficiently. Uh, But one of the things about a tool or an appliance, the sort of things that we use, in order for it to be helpful, in order for it to be useful, um, we have to know what it is and what it does. Now, of course, uh, the majority of things that we use in the course of the day, we kind of use without even thinking about that. Um, for example, I brought a couple of things here with me. Um, I would imagine that uh, every one of us could use one of these things pretty, uh, uh, pretty easily, pretty simply. Uh, perhaps you used one this morning um, as you were preparing your breakfast. My family didn't because I took this early before they had breakfast. Um, so hopefully they weren't looking for it. Uh, but there are other things that we have and uh, that we're so familiar with that we kind of use them without thinking. I mean, some of us, in fact, probably all of us, uh, tucked away in our purse or our pocket have one of these things. And if I ask you what it is and what it does, the ironic thing is that probably somewhere down about the fifth or the sixth thing that it does is you might say, oh, yeah, and it makes phone calls too. Um, but uh, so we're, we're so accustomed to, to having one of these. We know what it is. We know how it works. And And even simple things like um, something like this. Uh, A lot of us use every day uh, to get us going in the morning. This is something which was specifically designed for black coffee um, uh, because that's the only way to drink it because that's the way that God designed it. So, So, but the interesting thing about all of what we use is that somewhere along the line, somebody a whole lot smarter than me actually designed these things and, and, and designed them um, with their purpose, with their use in view. Now, that makes perfect sense to us when you're talking about a toaster or a cell phone or a coffee mug. We understand that. But, you know, a lot of us go through life with a far more significant and fundamental question that we wrestle with, and that is, what about me? Uh, And what about you? What's my purpose? What are we here for? Now, we live in a day and age where just about every high school science class is going to teach you about the theory of evolution. And that, by the way, is what it is, a theory, even though it's often taught as fact. And uh, the theory of evolution answers that question for us quite simply. What are we here for? What's our purpose? What's the purpose and meaning of life? And it answers it by saying, well, there there isn't one. In fact, um, Richard Dawkins, a renowned atheist, uh, states, humans have always wondered about the meaning of life. But life has no higher purpose than to perpetuate the survival of DNA. Life has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. You see, we live in a world that is increasingly telling people 
and that they are but a cosmic accident or a random mutation. And while this may be announced under the uh, terms of scientific knowledge and advancement, the reality is that it is a spiritual delusion. Because, you see, when we remove the sense of the image of God in a person's life, it leads to tremendous hopelessness. And in fact, what we find as we look at the pages of this book together is that that simply isn't true, that that we have a creator, that we are made with a purpose, that the God of the universe has declared over us that we have value and worth and dignity. But you see, if we are to discover what our purpose is, we need to understand that it is only when you know who you are made for that you discover what you are made for. It's only when you know who you are made for that you discover what you are made for. And we're going to take a few minutes this morning as we open God's Word together uh, to look at uh, God's threefold purpose for your life and mine. Uh, to be reminded of some fundamental truths and to discover together what it looks like to live on purpose. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to take a hold of it. uh, If it's on your uh, phone, to open up your Bible app. We are this morning, as we're going to be looking at three short, different passages of Scripture, going to have those Scripture passages up on the screen. But I would ask you still to open your copy of the Scriptures because I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't even want you to take uh, the, the screen's word for it. I want you to see for yourself what God says to us in His inspired word. Uh, So, uh, we're starting this morning in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is found in the pages of the New Testament. And what we're going to see here is that we have been made for Jesus. To know him and to enjoy him. Listen to these words from Colossians 1 beginning in verse 15. It says, he, in reference to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So our starting point, if you like, this morning is the fact that what the Scriptures tell us is that we have been made for Jesus. And, and it's to know him and to enjoy him. You see, what this passage and others like it in the New Testament tell us is that Jesus is the maker and, and the designer that he created all things, including you and me. In fact, if you notice in the wording here, uh, this is pretty exhaustive, isn't it? He created all things, things that are invisible and things that are visible, things that are in heaven, things that are in earth, uh, rulers and dominions and authorities, the lot of it. He created all of it, and that includes you, and it includes me. 
Now here, uh, sometimes we get a little bit stuck on the, the, the start of this passage. Unfortunately, there's a, there are some cults who, who wrongly teach this. When it says, first of all, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it's talking about the fact that in his incarnation, Christ taking on flesh puts on display for us the very character of God. In fact, he is himself fully God. When it says that he's the firstborn of all creation, this doesn't mean that Jesus was born. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that, that he was like the oldest child. No, it, it is speaking about his position, his of primacy over the whole universe. So he is in the, the prime position. He is first place over all things. It's not speaking about order. It is speaking about supremacy. But what this passage tells us when we're thinking about this idea of your purpose and mine is that first of all, you and I were created and designed by a loving God. We often think, uh, well, well, didn't God the Father do the creation? Isn't that what we see in Genesis chapter 1? Interestingly, even right there in Genesis chapter 1, we see the Father. uh, We see the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, hovering over the waters. And we're told that all things came into being at the Word of God, which in John's gospel uh, helps us to understand it by by telling us that Jesus is, in fact, the, the very Word of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that there is not anything that has been made that wasn't made by Him. And so Christ Himself made us, designed us with a purpose. And His design and His purpose is good. And, and if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this. God doesn't make junk. I don't care what other voices have said to you throughout your life. The God of the universe has crafted you. He has designed you. He has made you and there is no other like you and all of his works are good and glorious. And that includes you. This passage not only tells us that all things were made by him, it explains that all things exist and continue to exist through him. Notice here we see, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's a lot of people who are walking around thinking, I don't need God for anything. You know, I work hard and I earn it and I, and I accomplish all of these things. And Well, look at me. Uh, he's for weak people. Guess what? If Jesus were for even a moment to withdraw his hand, everything would cease to be. The whole universe, according to Hebrews chapter 1, is upheld by the power of his word. All things are sustained by him. All things are held together by him. The life that we have, the breath that we have, the strength that we have, all of it. The universe itself spins only because he is actively 
upholding it by the power of his word. But more than that, I love this. You see, Jesus is the purpose for all things. Notice with me right here in this passage. It says, all things were created through him, and listen, and for him. Everything that exists, exists for the express design and purpose of bringing pleasure and glory to Jesus Christ. Did you know that? See, people get wrapped up in uh, their sense of purpose being all about what I do. But Scripture says, no, 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 no. Your purpose is rooted in, it starts from, it begins with your relationship to the living God. The very reason that you and I exist is for the pleasure and the glory of Jesus Christ. Your life has purpose, and it is far greater purpose than we can even fully begin to wrap our minds around. What does it mean that we exist for the pleasure and the glory of Jesus? Well, you see, all through the pages of Scripture, what we discover is that God does all things for His own fame and His own glory and for His own pleasure. And He delights when we, as His people, find pleasure in Him. Now, that seems a little bit strange, because if we were saying that about somebody else, it would seem like super egotistical. Hey, everybody, look at me and find joy by looking at me. Well, it seems strange, doesn't it? But no, when we are talking about the God of the universe, when we are talking about his utter perfection, when we are talking about his utter holiness, his majesty, his splendor, It is perfectly right that he would say, draw close to me and find pleasure and joy in me. You see, in the same way as an expert artist might paint the most beautiful picture ever imaginable. And as people come and they view this picture, that artist would take joy and pleasure in the joy and pleasure that his work evokes in them. And so even when we look at something like a majestic mountainscape and we are left standing with a sense of awe before it, we need to remember that that is a pale comparison to the greatness and the splendor of our God. You and I were created for the glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a, uh, an old book which has been used by many believers throughout the, uh, throughout the generations called the Westminster Catechism. Some of you may be familiar with that. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's, it's really a book that, that, that helps you to grasp the, the, the foundational teachings of Christianity and, and, and in the Scriptures. And it's laid out as a question-answer format. And the very first question in this book that has been used by many, many people Um, The very first question is, what is the primary purpose of mankind? And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that really, in a sense, sums up what we find in the pages of Scripture. And actually, even in that, it it points to Colossians 1 here as, as, as part of the evidence for that. You and I are created for a purpose. We are designed for a purpose. But how do we go about glorifying God and enjoying Him? 
Well, it starts by recognizing that the Christian life has got to be about more than simply knowing about God. There is an intimacy that we are to have in our relationship with God, and that intimacy comes as we, as we spend time with Him. It comes as we worship Him. It comes as we, as we allow ourselves to stand in awe before the greatness of who He is. A really practical way for some of us taking a, a first step with that might be to, to, to take some time, even this coming week, to turn to John's gospel in the New Testament, just to spend some time each day reading it and prayerfully uh, reflecting on what we see of the person of Jesus Christ, what we learn about the beauty and the splendor of who he is. It's also when we, when we take time to spend with him, but it's learning also to trust him. You see, one of the ways in which we find the greatest pleasure in God, one of the ways in which we experience uh, uh, God's glory in our lives is when we actually trust him with something that we've never trusted him with before. Because, you see, the more that we trust him, the more we find him to be faithful. The more that we find him to be faithful, the more that results in, in, in gratitude. And the more that that results in gratitude, it results in praise to him. And so maybe, the, maybe there's an area of your life that you've been kind of holding on to. That, that, that God would have you take kind of a bold step out in and say, God, I've never really given this area over to you, but I want to trust you with this area in a way I've never trusted you before. And, and I'm going to spend time, I'm going to devote time to pray about this area of my life because I need your leading and I need your direction. I don't want to do it my way anymore. And then, you, and then you're going to take devoted time. You're going to look in the pages of Scripture and find out, so what does God actually say about this particular area that, that I'm trusting him with? And, and, and then you actually do what he says and see how he shows up. It's a part of living out our purpose, learning the, the flow, the intimacy, the, the cycles of grace in our life that we might enjoy him and, and glorify him. You know, there's a lot of people who walk around and they want God to show up in their life and they want him to do stuff for them. And they think of a passage like we find in the pages of the book of Psalms where it says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And we're like, yeah, I want the desires of my heart. Let's do that, God. But they forget the fact that we're to delight ourselves first in the Lord. What does it look like for us to live for the glory of God in all things? Well, it starts off by recognizing that you were created with a purpose. And your purpose is bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. But there's more than that. You see, as we uh, turn over a few pages, we find ourselves in the, uh, this morning in the book of Ephesians. And, and what we discover is not only are we created for a purpose, which is to glorify uh, Jesus Christ and to find pleasure in him, but we are God's masterpiece. We are created to serve him and bless others. We find this in Ephesians chapter 2. Here on the screen you'll see verses 8 through 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's the saying? It's telling us that we are God's masterpiece, that we are created to serve him and bless others. We need to start off with the understanding here of just what it says. It says, we are saved not by our good works, but for good works. 
See the difference there? We're not saved by our works. None of us gets to boast before God and say, hey, God, so you have to take me because I'm so great. Look at all the stuff I've done. No, not at all. There's no boasting when it comes to our salvation. Christ has paid it all. Nobody will ever stand before God based on their own merit. There may be some who on that day of judgment will choose to try to do so. And what they will hear is away from me. I never knew you. The gift of salvation is a free gift, freely given, not earned. The one who earned it was Christ himself when he died on the cross and rose again victorious to life, paying the debt of our sin and providing for us a new and living way that we might be reconciled to God the Father Almighty. But having been saved, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved for, you have been created for good works. Before we talk about what those are, I first want you to to, to understand that God is a master craftsman. And you and I are his masterpiece. I mean, think about that. God molded and shaped us and crafted us. We are his workmanship. I love that. But the good works that we're called to, the good works that we are created for and saved for, it's not what we often think. You see, oftentimes we think, well, good works, uh, well, let's, uh, let's see, that's kind of my checklist, right? So go to church, check. Read the Bible, check. Uh, give some money, if I have to, check. Um, uh, help little old ladies across the street, check. Those are all good things. But that's not the kind of good works that this is talking about. You see, in fact, what he says here is that we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good, good works, which God prepared beforehand. What's the beforehand? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, if we had time to go there, would tell us that he chose us before even the foundations of the earth. God knew your life and crafted you even before the foundations of the earth. But we are to walk in these good works. What does that mean? Well, Paul actually uses this picture all through the New Testament as one of my favorite images that we find in the New Testament because I'm kind of simple. But I did manage to learn how to walk a little while ago. And, uh, and, and see, one of the things about walking is you simply put one foot in front of the other, right? You take a step by step. And, and, and when we see this picture, when we see this motif in, uh, in the New Testament, that's what it's speaking about. It's step by step, moment by moment, day by day, continually growing and moving forward with Christ. And so what this is talking about is something that is constant. The good works he's talking about here are something that's constant. And so to put it in another way, we could turn to a passage like Colossians 3.17. Listen to this. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. And so at the most foundational level, it makes no difference whether you are a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. We are to do everything that we do giving thanks to God. Everything that we do, what for? 
for the purpose of bringing glory and pleasure to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are created with a purpose in every little thing that we do. The problem is um, that if we're honest, sometimes we feel a little bit like we're in a holding pattern. Maybe that some of us are in school right now and we kind of think to ourselves, well, you know, I, I'd really like to figure out what my purpose in my life is and, and, and I, and I want to know what it looks like to, to, to follow and to honor Christ. But, um, uh, but, but maybe let me just get finished with school, kind of get this out of the way and then I'll have more space and more time and, you know, and, and life will just be more convenient. I'll be able to figure that out. Or, or maybe we're to think, well, you know, I'd really like to know my purpose in that, but right now I just, I just want to get married. And, um, and, and, and after I get married, then, then, then my spouse and I will kind of set that direction. We'll figure that out together. Or maybe we think to ourselves, well, you know, life is just hectic with the kids around. Once they're up and grown, then, then, then as we look at kind of the, 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 the rest of the journey, of, we'll, we'll figure out what it looks like in that season to listen Wherever you are, whatever season you are in, whatever you are doing, you and I are called and and, and created, and in Christ we are saved in order to honor Him and bless others right here, right now, where we are. Now, it's certainly true that some of us have experienced what we can only call a sense of strong call from God on our lives. And we feel this burden, we feel this calling to, to, to step out in, in courageous faith into missions or into church planting or, or as a family to step into the unknown and to, 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 to open up our home and to adopt some children into our home to care for them, to, to, to take a step beyond where we are right now. And, and that is a wonderful thing. Continue to, to push hard after God into that. But what I want us to understand is that what this passage reminds us of is the fact that for the most part, for most of us, it's not about doing something different than what we're doing right now. It's not about stepping out into somewhere new. It's not about going to a new place. It's about right now where you are doing all that you do in light of your created purpose for the glory of Jesus Christ for the blessing of others. You see, sometimes we forget that the very sovereign God who rules and reigns over all the universe, who has determined the times and the places where we each shall live, has placed you precisely where you are today. Not so that you can wait for what's next, but so that you can serve and seek to glorify Him here and now. You know what? You're even here at Springbrook Church this morning. Right here. Right now. Because the sovereign God wants to speak to you today. We are his masterpiece. Some of us, 
a very practical way that we can take a next step in understanding the way that he has uniquely crafted and created and gifted us is to do just what Pastor Matt uh, announced during the, uh, uh, the, the announcement times and uh, to get signed up for the, the upcoming Spiritual Gifts Workshop. It's going to help you to better identify and fully develop the power and the potential of your spiritual gifts. It's going to answer questions like, what are spiritual gifts? How do I, how do, how do I know what my gifts are? And how do, how do I use them for the building up of God's people? And uh, that's kicking off on Wednesday, May 29th. It's just three Wednesday nights. And you can register for that or you can sign up and, and find more information at springbrook.org gifts. So I'd encourage you, if you uh, have never taken that step, if you don't know what your gifts are, you want to plug in to that three-week seminar that's coming up. But while you and I are created for a purpose, we're designed by Christ Jesus himself to bring glory to him and find pleasure in him. While we are his masterpiece, created for good works, that we might glorify God and bless others. It's also true that for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's another purpose we find in the New Testament. We read about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and what we discover is that we are commissioned by God to declare His greatness. Look at this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. There it is again. We belong to Him that you may proclaim. In other words, for the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, these verses speak about the high and holy calling, the identity that we have as those who have come to faith in Christ Jesus and received his mercy and his pardon and his new life. We're reminded that God in his mercy has chosen us. He has called us to himself. We're reminded that we have a new identity. We have a role that we play. We are now a part of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You know, in the evangelical church, we kind of lost sight of what, of what priests do. We don't really do the whole priest thing. You know, we read about it in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, we uh, hear uh, Roman Catholics talking about priests. We don't really do that in the same way in the evangelical church. Uh, because we believe, uh, and the Reformers uh, uh, celebrated and taught the, the priesthood of all believers, which is found right here in this passage. We are, every one of us who's in Christ, part of this royal priesthood. But what exactly do priests do? Well, in its most simple form, a priest is a representative from God that stands before the people one who stands as a representative for God before a watching world. And what's our purpose as a royal priesthood, as a people for his own possession? It's to proclaim his excellencies. It's to declare the fact that he has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, the thing is that we live in a world where every single person who is apart from Jesus Christ, and this includes us before we came to know Christ, is spiritually dead in our sins and transgressions, according to Ephesians 2. 
is in darkness, according to 1 Peter chapter 2. Literally, we are in a pitch black room and we cannot see a single thing and groping around. There's a sense in which that's where that idea that we are a random mutation and a cosmic mistake leads us to. A sense of hopelessness, a sense of emptiness, a sense of what is our purpose. But no, God in his mercy reaches down to the one who is groping in darkness and rescues him and transfers us into his marvelous light. And so a part of the purpose for which we are saved, a part of the purpose that we exist, that we were made for, is that we might declare the greatness of God. How do we do that? Well, we do it, first of all, by understanding who we are made for, seeking to live in everything, to bring glory to Him, allowing our good works, everything that we do, to bring praise to God and blessing to others. Jesus actually talked about that to the disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, there it is again, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's He saying? Live out your purpose for the glory of God in such a way that it blesses other people and it causes them to fix their eyes on Jesus and not on you. So as we live out our purpose to glorify Jesus in everything and to serve and bless others, we declare His greatness. We declare His greatness when we take time prayerfully and oftentimes stumbling, kind of nervous about doing it, but to come alongside of someone and say, hey, can I just share with you a little bit about what God's done in my life? Can I just tell you a little bit about what my life was like before I knew Jesus? And, and here's, here's how I came to know him. And here's what's happened in my life. Here's what God has been doing in my life since I've come to know him. We declare the greatness of God who has taken us out of darkness and placed us into his marvelous light. And finally, we, we, we declare his greatness when we come alongside some people and we say, hey, listen, um, I want you to know that you have a purpose. I want you to know that the God of the universe knit you together in your mother's womb. He crafted you. He designed you. He loves you. You are not a mistake. Would you turn to Jesus so that you could experience the purpose for which you were made? Whenever we do that, we, we, we glorify God by declaring His greatness. You see... We proclaim His excellencies. We declare His greatness. I want you to know that you have a purpose. You are not here as a result of a random mutation or a cosmic accident. The God of the universe declares you to be His workmanship, His masterpiece. You have been made by Christ and through Him and for Him. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus here this morning, I hope that you're encouraged as we're reminded of these, these precious truths. But it may be that there are some of us here this morning who are like, I want to know my purpose. And I'm curious because, because I feel like I've been trying to figure it out on my own and I've been doing things myself, but you've never come to that place of, of recognizing that your purpose is wrapped up in Jesus. And, and that invitation, that gift that we saw and read about in Ephesians 2 a moment ago, that free gift is available for you. 
because of what we talked about last week, because of what we celebrated, because of the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, victorious. Because you see, the thing is, the reason that he had to die was to make a way for sinful people to come to a holy God. And if you have lived your way living for your glory and for your pleasure and for your splendor and for your agenda, that's sin. Because you have chosen to go your own way and you have rejected the perfect ways of God. But the invitation stands open to come to him, to confess your sin, and and really to stand before God and just say, God, I believe that you have created me. I believe that you made me for a purpose, and I long to live that purpose. Forgive me for trying to go my own way and live for my own glory. Today, in this moment, I would ask that you would forgive my sins, and from this point on, as best as I know how, I want to surrender everything to live for you. If that's you today, I would plead with you, don't leave here today without doing business with God. Don't leave here today without having that conversation with God. And if you do, grab me in the, in the foyer afterwards. Anybody that you've seen up here on the platform, don't leave here without telling someone because we would love to help you to take your next step in your walk with Jesus Christ. You know, in England, just about two years ago, uh, a, st- a news story came out about uh, an elderly couple. And uh, this elderly couple had uh, uh, received as a, as a gift from a deceased loved one uh, this item, this pot. They didn't really know what to do with it. They thought on several occasions, maybe we'll just have a garage sale and get rid of it because we don't really like it all that much. And, uh, and yet they, they kind of felt obligated because great aunt, whoever it was, left it for them. And so over the years, uh, they kind of moved it around the house and uh, it was used as a doorstop in their home. It was used as an umbrella holder in their home. Uh, they had it in their home for 30 years. Their kids grew up around it. They'd play ball all around it. and uh, Inevitably, it would get kind of knocked into. The ball would hit it. But simply because of the sheer weight of this thing, somehow it never got knocked over. It managed to, to survive without any damage, all of this kind of rough and tumble. They had it there for 30 years. And one day they, uh, they invited a, uh, um, an antiques dealer. This is a true story. They invited an antiques dealer into their home because they had a couple of things in their home. They thought, oh, maybe this is worth 100 bucks, a couple of hundred bucks. Let's, let's get somebody in and just look at some things. And so he arrived at their home. He came in the front door, and they were sort of uh, puzzled and a little bit frustrated because he stopped right there in their hallway. And he started to look at this thing, and they're like, well, don't you want to come in so you can see the stuff that we've invited you here to see? And and finally, he picked this thing up, and he cleaned it off underneath, and he found a mark. And he said, do you know what you have here? He said, this is a Ming Dynasty vase. The long and the short of it was that what they had used as a doorstop and an umbrella holder for 30 years sold at auction for $1.5 million. Because it was only when they discovered who made it and what it was made 
before that they came to understand the full beauty and worth and value of what they had. Folks, you may be struggling with where you fit. It may be that some of us here today are wondering why we're here, and I don't just mean at church, I mean why we're here. You might even feel like that mistake or that cosmic accident. But God wants you to know that you are his. He wants you to know that he has made you and you have a purpose. That your purpose is to know him and to enjoy him and to serve him and to bless others and to declare his greatness so that other people who are all around you might come to know Christ and discover that they have a purpose too. You see, it's only when you know who you were made for that you discover what you were made for. And you were made for a purpose. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, how can it be that you, the one who spoke the whole universe into existence, would care for us, would take time for us, and yet, Lord, you do. Lord, you have crafted us as a master workman. You have made us and you have stamped your image upon us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who by the power of your Holy Spirit learn to day in and day out live out our purpose of bringing glory and praise to you. That you would teach us to grow in intimacy with you and to find pleasure in who you are. But I want to pray especially this morning for those who are here who don't feel valuable, who don't feel worthwhile, who are struggling with a sense of purpose. I ask, oh God, that you would minister your word of truth deep within the heart today. I pray that you would cast aside the lies of the enemy, the untruths that have been declared over their lives for many years, and that they would simply know that they are loved by you. And Lord, should there be any here under the sound of my voice this morning who yearn to know and to live out their purpose in you, and yet have never received that free gift of life and of salvation, Lord, might today be the day in which they cry out, saying, God, forgive me. I have gone my own way. I have tried to figure out my own purpose, and I've tried always to do it in my way because I've rejected yours. God, I repent of these sins, and I, I, I trust Jesus and him alone for forgiveness. Lord, would you take my life And would you let it be consecrated wholly to you? Because from this moment forward, I don't want to live for myself anymore. But only for your glory and for your pleasure. Because I believe and I trust that as I do things your way, 
I will experience a joy and a peace that you promised that is greater than any I could otherwise know. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. And we do so, Lord, with thanksgiving. Amen.